Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, The Way. The Bible teaches that God's people will walk in the way of blessing and life, while those who reject God's instruction and rule will walk in the way of destruction and death. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 26. Uh, I'm going to be reading actually out of the uh, 2011 version of the NIV. I normally still use the 1984. I'm using the 2011 because I think they translated a couple of things better from the Greek uh, in this particular text, so I'm going to use it. And for those who've been coming here, this is still part of our series on the way where we've been meditating on Psalm 1 and 2. We're going to go back and complete that next week with just another meditation on those two Psalms. But this week, since it's Pentecost Sunday, I thought we would talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, and we're going we're gonna to use one of the texts on the way, or the two ways, uh, that are there in the New Testament. That comes out of Paul's letter to the Galatians, uh, beginning at verse 16. So we're going to read Galatians 5, 16 through 26. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. Hear now the word of the living, ruling, and reigning God. So I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature, of the, of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. If you've been around for a while, you may know I have an old green pickup truck. And there's a stress on the word old there. I think it's actually 21 years old now. And one of the joys of owning a much older vehicle like that is how often things break down. And a while back, uh, I started noticing some fluid leaking out of it and found out quickly it was my power steering unit because the, the power steering started not working well. And we actually took it in and had it repaired. But this past week, my wife was out in it and then texted to say, uh, it's messed up again and it's leaked all the stuff out because there is no power steering and I forgot how much I like power steering. Uh, if you've driven a car without power steering, you, you do understand what that's like. When the fluid is gone, the power steering unit doesn't work and it becomes much more difficult to actually turn the steering wheel and work from it. And I'm bringing up that analogy because there in it, when you have this fluid that is there, it enables you to do something. But that's only a rough analogy, because what we're going to see this morning is, it's not that walking the way without the Holy Spirit is difficult, it's actually impossible. 
It's actually far worse than losing your power steering. There's no wheels. There's no steering wheel. There's no nothing. You're not doing anything. You cannot walk the way apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this is still part of this series we've been looking at, you know, as we've been meditating on Psalm 1 and 2. And today, we're, since it is Pentecost Sunday, we're going to be looking at how the Holy Spirit is given to you and I. When God gave the Spirit to the church at Pentecost, he's doing that to empower us to walk the way. It's not only that we were unable to save and justify ourselves. I mean, I hope y'all were enjoying the songs this morning. What, what a great list the team put together and just worshiping and being reminded of all our need for Christ. But as we're going to see today, you not only need Christ uh, and the Spirit of God for justification, we can't be sanctified. We can't grow in holiness. We can't walk on the way once we've been put on it apart from the power of the Spirit. It's not that we're justified by God's work and then I shift to my work. It remains God's work from beginning to end. So we're going to dive in and look at this. Now notice in this text, the reason that I picked this particular text on the Holy Spirit is because it's a description of the two ways. Notice Paul here in verses 19 and 22 lists these two different ways. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, and he goes on and lists a whole bunch of evil, wicked actions and attitudes. And then in verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So notice there's these two very different descriptions, two very different ways of life. There's the way of the wicked, is what Psalm 1 and 2 would call it, which is following evil practices of the flesh. And then there is the way of the righteous, which are good practices that are empowered and prompted by the Holy Spirit. And this is not unique in the New Testament. They actually occur all over the place. And it's not even unique to just Christians or Jews or even religious people. It was very common at this time. Many philosophers would give lists. These are good practices. These are bad practices. These are the kind of traits you ought to try and encourage. And these are the kind of traits you ought to not do. They're very, very common, and they're describing two different ways of life as characterized by very different character traits and very different actions. And it is important. We're not going to really so much dig into the list themselves this morning, but I would encourage you as you uh, look at God's Word and do this, realize these lists are not exhaustive, okay? There's, there's a list here of evil actions, but the New Testament gives other lists, and they have other actions and attitudes that are not in this. And the nine fruit of the Spirit here are not the only things the Holy Spirit is working into our heart and life. It's just a representative list. This is one way. This is another way, just like we've been talking about in this series. And it's a description of the two different ways of life, just like Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. There are those who are on the path of the righteous, they meditate on God's Torah, they are taking refuge in the sun, and then there are those who are plotting and meditating on how they can get out from under God's instruction, and they are trying to throw off the rule and the reign of God's son. Two different ways, two different groups of people, and Paul's doing the same thing here in the book of Galatians. Now, notice the source of the two ways, and then we're going to come back and unpack this in a minute. The source of the two ways 
are the flesh and the spirit. If you're using the older NIV, it actually translates the Greek word sarx as sinful nature, uh, which kind of gets at the heart of what Paul's talking about, but the actual word is just flesh. Notice in verse 16, he says, I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So he's saying that they're, they're different from one another. In verse 17, he says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary uh, to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Paul's saying, do you understand especially because he's writing here to believers. He's saying, do you understand that even as a believer, you still have the flesh that is trying to pull you one way and you have the spirit that is pulling you another way and you have to realize they are in conflict with one another. They are mutually incompatible. And so if you're going to walk with the spirit, your life's gonna start lining up this way. Nothing. You can't line up with the acts of the flesh and say, I'm walking in the Spirit. No, you're not walking by the Spirit or in the Spirit. You're actually walking by the flesh. And notice, and this is an important little phrase. I'm not going to spend much time on it, but it relates back to many things we've been talking about this year, where Paul says they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. There is much in our culture right now that says, if I have a desire... I should just follow it. If you're going to be authentic, you must do whatever desire you have. Can I just tell you, that's a, that's a case for character suicide. For anybody. That, that is a non-workable way of life. And in fact, if you hang around me for 10 minutes and I'm doing whatever I want, you're going to realize that's not a good philosophy of life. You, you and I are going to come into conflict really quick. And so Paul's saying the flesh and the spirit are warring inside you. So you can't just have a desire and say, well, it's a desire, I should follow it. The question is, is it a desire prompted by the spirit or is it a desire prompted by the flesh? The ones from the flesh are to be resisted. The ones from the spirit are to be embraced and followed. And notice then, therefore, they lead to very two, two very different patterns of life. Again, verses 19 and 22. Notice the list could not be more different. I mean, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Okay, that, that's not an attractive sounding list, is it? And on the other, love, joy, peace, forbearance, you know, gentleness, self-control. They are very distinct lists because the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit are completely different from one another. The same way we saw in Psalm 1 and 2, there's two very different paths. You can't, the, the paths are not only not together, they're getting further and further apart. There's no way to try and bridge them and say, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but I still want to keep walking this other path. It's not, it's not possible. When we are regenerated, we are changed, and we want to walk on the path of the righteous. So, Let's look a little bit diving into what this means. There are two ways presented here and two sources of power. And in fact, they end up in two different destinies. Now, notice there's the way of the flesh, which is wickedness and death. So Paul again says the acts of the flesh are obvious. This is what the flesh does. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, 
orgies, and the like. This is a whole list here of evil actions and attitudes. But I want you to notice, they're not just outward acts. Some of these are outward acts, sexual immorality, impurity, um, the fits of rage when you're actually acting on your anger, uh, drunkenness. Many of those are acts of the physical body where we use our body to do it, but notice they're not all. Jealousy is not an act of my physical body. It's inside my heart and soul. Now I'm bringing this up because see, Gnostics want to say that the problem is your flesh by which they mean your body, but that's not what Paul means. I wish my problem were only my body. In fact, as a young believer, I, you know, I had been a guy who liked to you know, get drunk and smoke strange substances before I became a believer, and I had to work to cut those out of my life, and I discovered that was the easy part. The outward action was much easier to trim off than what was going on inside my heart. And so Paul gives this list here, and it includes evil actions and attitudes, sins of both the body and the soul. Both are included here. And notice, secondly, the list is not merely cultural because many people in Greco-Roman society, the sexual immorality Paul is talking about here, for example, one expression of that is temple prostitutes. They not only said that's not only not wrong and that not only does not uh, forbid me from being part of God's people going to heaven, this is part of my worship. I mean, that's two very different opinions. If you know, there's are completely mutually incompatible. And many of the things on this list that Paul's talking about did not line up with Greco-Roman culture. In fact, I would argue our culture today is probably approaching more closely the view of Greco-Roman culture on what is evil and what is not evil than at any time in probably the last 16 or 1700 years. So when some people today don't want, like these lists and they try to argue around them, they're in very good company with all the people who repudiated the Christian faith back in the first century because the same ideas were there. Paul's list is not cultural because moral sin and righteousness are not culturally determined. They are constant across culture and across time. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord are evil no matter what culture you're in, no matter what time you live. And it doesn't matter if we all hold a vote tomorrow and everybody votes, you know, we get on the internet, we do a nice democratic process, and we all decide these are okay. They're not. They're still sin, whether we've declared they're not sin any longer or not. And they're not, people want to say, well, Paul was writing as a man of his culture. First off, it's the Holy Spirit speaking here not just Paul, he's speaking through Paul, but this list did not make Christians popular. There were many people that disagreed with items on this list. These things are a reflection of God's character and law. They're things that violate God's character and law in this particular list. See, the, the reason that sexual immorality is wrong is because God is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. And sexual immorality is not. It breaks and violates that. The reason idolatry is wrong is because there's only one true God. The reason that hatred and fits of rage are wrong is because God himself is long-suffering and patient towards us. So these are not about culture. This is about 
these violate the ways of God. And therefore, because they violate the ways of God, they are actually expressions of human rebellion against God and against his Torah, his instruction that we looked at last week. Remember, the, you know, the word Torah does not really mean law. It means instruction towards us. And remember, the righteous person in Psalm 1 is meditating on how, I can, how can I embrace Torah? How can I walk after it? See, these things are ways that you're not walking after Torah. God has told us these are actually destructive of who you are as a human being. Notice again that the source of these evil actions is the flesh. Paul says the acts of the flesh are obvious. It's the flesh that is fighting against the spirit. There's this conflict that's going on. Now, the flesh, again, does not refer to the body. There's a different Greek word for body, the word soma. This is the word sarx, and it can be used for flesh of all kinds. But when Paul's using the word, and as it was often used back then, uh, it really refers to uh, that part of humanity that is aligned with sin and Satan and rebellion against God and his ways. Because, again, notice, the sins in the list are not only sins of the body, they include sins of the soul. So the sarks is not only producing actions in the body, it's producing actions in the soul as well. Gnosticism wants to separate those and just say your body is your problem, but it's not. And if you're honest, you know it's not. You struggle with things that are arising out of your soul. And so there is this part of us, this flesh, that is lined up in rebellion against God and his ways that's expressed in Psalm 2 by saying, hey, we're going to meditate and plan. i got to figure this out, how to throw off God's instruction, God's rule, God's reign, because that's binding to me. That's a chain. That's a fetter. And it's not. It's actually freedom. But that's what the, the flesh says. And notice Paul then tells us there's an outcome of this way, and that is death. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if you're wondering, if you and I were to go down afterwards and read this list at the docks and say, and those who do this will not inherit the kingdom of God, everybody will tell you how smart you are and how wonderful you are. Right? I mean, man, you want to get shouted down. First off, to say that anybody wouldn't inherit the kingdom of God, that's not even admissible. And then secondly, picking things that our culture not only is neutral towards, but it approves and gives you a gold star for, and saying that means you are walking the way of the flesh. You clearly have not been regenerated. You are not part of the people of God, or you would not be embracing this and celebrating this. So therefore, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. Man, everybody would shout it down. But let me tell you, they didn't like it anymore in Paul's day. They did not like that. But Paul is clear he's here. He's saying to claim to be a Christian and to have a life that is characterized. He's not talking that. You know, you consider, and if you're honest and you read this list, have I ever had a fit of rage? Yes. I can show you things I have dented and broken in fits of rage. Paul's not just saying you sometimes do this. He's saying this is your practice. The Greek word there, prasso, means that it is my cultivated norm of life. It's the way I walk. And it's rather than me having a fit of rage and then saying, God, that was wrong. 
I am sorry. No, that's the way God made me. And I embrace it. I'm authentic in my rage. Paul says, if you're authentic in your rage, you're authentically not part of the people of God. You're authentically on your way to destruction. And that's with everything in this list. So notice he says that. And again, this is not a point he just makes here. With similar sins, but there are different ones thrown in. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. In Ephesians 5, 3 to 7. And in Colossians, I mean, that was Ephesians 5, 3 to 7. And then Colossians 3, 5 to 7. They shouldn't have done that to me. Um, so that's 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, Ephesians 5, 3 to 7, and Colossians 3, 5 to 7. Paul's got very similar lists, again, some of the same sins, sometimes different ones, and he, and he concludes with the same thing. This is not the way, you cannot live this way and claim to be part of the people of God. It's giving the lie to your confession when you are doing that. Now there's a flip side, and Paul says that's the way of the Spirit, which is righteousness and life. So notice in verses 22 and 23, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he even then says, and against such things there is no law. The, the law is not against these things. We're going to see why he brings that up in just a minute. But so here he's giving this whole litany of righteous dispositions and actions. But again, I want you to see, it's not cultural. This may surprise you, but many Romans and Greeks looked at that list and said some of those are not virtues, some of those are weak. They look, I mean, and it's the same way down through history. Let me tell you, if you take a guy like Nietzsche and you say, this is what you're trying to cultivate, he would say, that's why you'll be dominated by the ubermunch. Because that's womanly. That's the problem with Christianity, and that's why your God is dead. So this list is by no means embraced and adopted by everyone. It would be interesting, and in fact, in the devotion and discussion guide for this week, that's one of the questions. If our culture were to come up with a list of virtues, what do you think it would look like? Not that. And if you think it would, just get on Facebook for a while. Okay, that, that's, so this again was not cultural. It's based on the character of God, because you know who does look like this? God. God is love. God overflows with joy. Peace, shalom, comes from God. God is forbearing, long-suffering. He's kind. He's good. He's a faithful, covenant-keeping God. He is gentle. He does not just fly off in rage. Okay, see, all of that is the way God is. And so these are expressions of human beings living as the image of God, in line with God's character, which is what we were created to do, and God's Torah, his instruction, his law. That's why Paul says, against such things, there is no law. The law was given to show us what God is like in written form, to describe it, and this lines up with God's law. So these are actually, if you want to think of the two lists, the first one is the description of what you were not made to be, and therefore what is bondage for you and me soul and spirit and body. On the other hand, this is a description of what you were created to be, what I was made to be, and what is actually lining up with the character of God, showing forth the image of God, and is therefore freedom for you in soul and body. That's what Paul has laid out here. Now here's the question. Again, 
we have to remember we don't become part of the people of God by keeping this list. It doesn't work that way. You can never get in. Paul here is late in the letter. He's already laid out the gospel. He's having to write to the Galatians because they were losing the gospel. But here's another thing they were losing. Some of the Galatians were saying, well, yeah, we kind of get in by grace. We kind of get in by the work of God. We kind of get in by the work of the Holy Spirit. But then we've got to revert to the law. And Paul tells them, you'll never keep the law by the law. So when he wants to talk about how do I, as a believer, when I say, you know what, I don't want to live out the acts of the flesh. I don't want that to be my practice. I don't want to walk that way. I'm oriented towards God and his way, but I'm in this struggle. And some Christians are tempted to turn to law. But Paul says it'll never do that. So notice He begins in in verses 18 and 23. He twice brings up the law here. He says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. In verse 23, finishing up the list of the fruit of the Spirit, he says, against such things there is no law. Because Paul is wanting them to understand the law is good and true and beautiful and holy, as Paul says in Romans 7. The law, as we meditate upon God's Torah, his instruction day and night, it shows us very clearly, this list is the way of God, the other list is the way of Satan. This is the way of the spirit, this is the way of the flesh. It shows that, and then it cannot help you make the right choice. And it will not help me. That's why we don't live by the law. Rather, we live by the spirit. Paul brings the same thing up in Romans chapter 8 very parallel passage, even much more in depth. In Romans 8, 3, and 4, he says, for what the law was powerless to do, now here's why it was powerless, because it was weakened by the flesh. The flesh is a short circuit. The laws, they're telling us the right thing, but our flesh keeps short-circuiting. And so Paul says the law is powerless to do it. But God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So notice Paul says the flesh short circuits the law so that the law can't give us the power. It's like the power steering unit and all the All of the stuff is drained out. It doesn't work anymore. The law cannot accomplish this so that we overcome sin and walk in the way of righteousness. But here's the good news. In the new covenant, Christ broke the power of sin and through the gift of the Holy Spirit has said that we can walk in the way of righteousness. Not by our own power, not by the law, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, David Bashore gave an excellent teaching on Romans 6 and what God has done for us in Christ. That Paul sums up here in Galatians 5 as saying, those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires, or the flesh with its passions and desires. In Romans 6, Paul tells us everything that God had done for us. In Romans 7, you see the struggle against sin, right? That's that passage that we can all recognize ourselves in. Man, what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I find myself doing. There's this struggle, there's this mess. And then you get to Romans 8, and Paul says, there is a way of freedom, and that way of freedom is by the Holy Spirit. But I want you to see the emphasis that he brings out. Here's a little table for you. 
In Romans chapter 7, where it's the struggle with sin, law is mentioned 23 times. Spirit is mentioned once. In Romans 8, where he's talking about sanctification and ultimately glorification, and where we are experiencing freedom so that we are walking the way of the Spirit, not the way of the flesh, the way of God, not the way of Satan, law is only mentioned five times, mainly negatively, and spirit is mentioned 21 times. Because Paul is telling you, he's bringing up, if you try to walk by the law, even as a Christian, in Romans 6, 7, and 8, he's already laid out the gospel. He's talking about sanctification, not justification. But Paul's saying, you can't be sanctified by your own power. And just like you can't be justified by the law, it condemns. The law shows the right way. It is good and true and beautiful, but it will not give you power. And if you try to live by legalism, you'll find yourself staying in Romans 7 which is no way to live. So Paul is telling us, no, it's by the Holy Spirit. So notice here in Galatians how much he refers to the Spirit. In verses 16 to 18, uh, verse 22, and then down in verse 25, he says, we are to walk by the Spirit because there is the flesh and the Spirit and they are contrary to one another. In verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. If the Holy Spirit is in you and, and, and working in your life, you don't have to live by the power of law. You live by the power of the Spirit. Uh, in verse 22, it's the fruit of the Spirit that is this godly character that is being built in us. And then in verse 25, he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So notice, throughout this entire passage, the dominant focus is the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Notice that the flesh is not contrasted with the law, though that would be true. The flesh desires what is contrary to the law as well, but Paul doesn't put those two in opposition here because he's saying, but see, here's the problem. The law can't overcome the flesh, but the Spirit can overcome the flesh. So the law shows believers the way, but only the Spirit can empower us to say no to sin and to walk in the way of righteousness. And so Paul sums up the Christian life in verse 25, and he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. One of the reasons I like the 2011 version of the NIV better is in the, in the 1984, they actually said at the beginning, uh, so I say live by the Spirit. But see, it's two different words. In verse 16, it's literally walk by the Spirit. The Greek word is peripateo, means to walk around. Okay? So he's saying walk, conduct your, your actions by the Holy Spirit. Here in verse 25, it's actually the word to live to be made alive, that's oftentimes referring to what happened to us in Christ. Paul's saying, do you understand this? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And the Spirit of God came upon you, and just like we sang this morning, we, by the Holy Spirit, we heard the voice of Jesus Christ, and we got up and we walked out of the grave. And Paul says, if that's how you were made alive, don't go back in to trying to do your own works. That's grave stuff. Don't do that. You live by the Spirit. You were brought alive by the Holy Spirit. Now keep in step with the Spirit. Some of you, if you come here early enough on Sunday morning, you might notice we have what's now affectionately referred to as my entourage. Uh, my daughter Stephanie's four little kids, they follow me and it looks like, uh, you know, a papa duck or whatever with four little ducklings behind me. They follow me everywhere I go. They are keeping in step with me. 
And Paul's saying, do you understand? When you were brought to life, when you became a child of God, when you came into the family, you are granted a desire that you should follow. And that desire is you just walk along behind the Holy Spirit. You follow wherever the Spirit leads, you go. And what he's going to do, Paul says, he's going to lead you into love, not hate. Into peace, not discord. Into faithfulness, not sexual immorality. Paul says in every one of these cases, that's what you're going to do. So our entire life is circumscribed by the power of the Holy Spirit. You were dead until you were raised by the Holy Spirit. You live now and are sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit. And one day, the Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in us. He will give life to our mortal bodies and call us up out of the grave and we will be glorified by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that'll be a great day because there won't be any more struggle with sin. Penalty of sin will be done. Power of sin will be done. Presence of sin will be done. It'll be nothing but grace and glory. So I want to encourage you on this Pentecost Sunday, what a gift you have been given in the Holy Spirit of God. Never take the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life for granted. Oh, See, when David sinned, he knew he was anointed externally by the Spirit. And what does he say in Psalm 51? Please don't take your Spirit away from me. Friends, you and I never, the Spirit is in us forever as God's good gift. So how do we apply the word? It's two questions and we come to the table. First question, have I been brought to life by the Spirit of God? You can't keep in step with the Spirit you're dead. You, you can't walk the way of the Spirit if you, in fact, are a child of wickedness and disobedience. Have I been born again? Remember, and that's what Jesus told Nicodemus, you have to be born again by the Spirit. Nicodemus is wanting, thinking, how are you a child of God? You keep the law. He says, no, 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 no. And all you're actually doing is putting perfume on a corpse. The corpse doesn't need perfume. The corpse needs life. It needs to be brought to life. Have you and I been born again by the Spirit of God? We were born stone cold dead. And you loved the way of wickedness. And so did I. Have you been born again? Thanks be to God. I remember when I, as I mentioned, you know, I was, I literally was so stone cold, drunk and high from smoking dope on a Friday night that I don't even, I have no memories of the night at all. And then on Sunday, I was at a crusade with some friends because I was going to a Bible study. I chased a girl into it. Not the right motive, but there you go. And at that crusade, I heard the voice of the Son of God. And I became alive by the Spirit. Have you done that? Have you heard his voice calling you out of the grave? Friends, you, you, you don't need a little change. You need a spiritual rebirth. That's what we all need. Has that happened to you? That's what it means to be a believer. There is no other way. Your works, did you, rock of ages, cleft for me, did you see, all the works, all the zeal, none of them can atone for my sin. 
but one drop of the righteous blood of Jesus Christ can wash it all away. Are you in the rock? Have you found refuge in the Son? Have you been born by the Holy Spirit? If you have not, I urge you, I plead with you with everything in me, cry out to Jesus Christ for salvation. There is no other way. To be in him is life. Second question, if you are a believer and you have been brought to life, am I keeping in step with the Spirit? See, the Spirit is not, when I'm justified, I'm freed from the penalty of sin, now and forever, and thanks be to God. But the Spirit is working to free me from the power of sin. The lies of our culture right now are, if you want to have the Jesus thing, have the Jesus thing. Just don't think that it means that you have to, you know, adopt a certain lifestyle or you have to stop these things. That's not true. And realize sin is soul deforming. It is life sucking. It ruins everything it touches. So the Holy Spirit says, I'm trying to clean this out of you for your own good, not to be saved, not to be justified, that's already been taken care of by Jesus Christ, but because we don't want our soul being effaced, and we want love and joy and peace. And if, if you are a believer, you know what it's like. When you know you've sinned, what does that feel like? Ah, yuck, why did I do that? If you don't feel that way, go back to the first part. Have I been born again? But see, so the Spirit is prompting and working to free us from this. He's working to conform me to the image and the character of Jesus Christ. That's who you need to be like. Don't try to be like, you know, Mike or be like somebody else. Be like Jesus. That's who you and I want to be like. But in this endeavor, we do cooperate with him. We walk. We are led by him and we follow. And in Paul's metaphor at the end, we keep in step. We just go where he's going. Because see, our culture is going to be telling you and I to go off into dead ends, to, to jump into the bay, to do all kinds of crazy stuff that is not true. But the Holy Spirit is always leading us in the way. Always leading us in the way of righteousness. So let me ask a question. Am I walking with the Spirit each day? Am I conscious each day, Holy Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, living breath of God, come and fill me fresh and new, come and lead and guide me, open the word of God to me, help me to understand the instruction of God so I know the way of righteousness and the way of wickedness. And then prompt and speak to and remind me each way, a step along the way. Am I seeking his guidance as I go through life? Look, I'm not one who says all the time, you know, there are some people who Apparently, all God does is talk to them and give them verbal revelations. I'm not somebody who says that, but I do seek his guidance. I'm here because I heard the Spirit of God tell me as a midshipman I was to come back here, and I was going to be a pastor someday. There was a lot in between there, but along the way, I kept listening to the Holy Spirit do your task in the Marine Corps, do what you're doing, but be prepared because I'm calling you to something else. Are we seeking the Holy Spirit for guidance or am I just stumbling through my day? What a gift we have that the Spirit of God has given to us. Am I uh, asking him for power to live in holiness? 
to say, I don't want to be that way. Lord, I've got this sin, and I struggle with this sin, and I want to be freed. I need the Holy Spirit to help me. Come on me, O Spirit of God, in power. Help me to live in holiness. Friends, that's where the power comes. It's not more resolution. Look, I, I'm a guy that lives a pretty disciplined life. You know, going to the Naval Academy at 17 and then the Marine Corps does warping things to you. I live a certain way. I cannot stop sin that way. It doesn't work. But the Spirit of God empowers and transforms and changes me. And areas where I have struggled, I have seen the Holy Spirit work and empower and change me. And if you fall, you get back up and you say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Holy Spirit, empower me. I don't want to do that. I want to be more like Jesus and less like the world. Is that the way we're doing it? I encourage you each day this week to walk that way. Now we're going to come to the table, and this is a table of grace, because in this world, you and I fight and struggle with sin. And the Holy Spirit works through means of grace. When I read the Word of God, the Holy Spirit works in me. When I'm in fellowship with you, the Spirit of God in you and the Spirit of God in me are building each other up. And when we come to this table, by the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit, we don't eat bread and drink a little juice. We feast upon the very grace of God. And my soul is strengthened and empowered and fed because of the work of the Holy Spirit. He works and meets us here at this table. So I want to encourage you that this is a key means of grace. It's so important. And as we come to the table, not only today, but each week as we come to the Lord's table, I urge you, ask the Holy Spirit. I want to be strengthened. I want to be strong in grace. I want to be strengthened and confirmed in the way of righteousness. I want you to cut those roots of sin in my life. And that's what we're crying out for him to do here at the table. I do want to remind you, as I've been talking about the two ways, this table is for those who are believers in Jesus Christ. This table is for those who say, I have no hope of salvation other than the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus that cleanses and washes me, all of that given to me. I am not trusting anything else. Uh, rock of ages. I'm trusting in him. I have no other hope. When you take this bread and you take this cup, that is what you're saying. If you don't believe that, don't partake because it's not a table that's just for you know, grins and giggles. This is the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are here as his disciples. But if you are a disciple, you don't have to be a member of our congregation because this is the Lord's table. Because Brett can't free you from your sin. Neither the penalty nor the power. But the spirit of the living God can. And so come to receive from the Lord. For what I received from the Lord Jesus, I pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, 
He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And Paul then reminds us, when we come to the table, we examine ourselves. Friends, I say that not because if you examine and find sin, you should not come. We come because we do have sin. But when the sin is revealed by the Spirit of God, we come to this table and we confess to receive forgiveness and grace. Lord, we thank you for this table of grace. We thank you that, Lord, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it is more than just a symbol to us, but, Lord, we uh, are taken up to our Lord Jesus Christ and all the saving benefits of his work are freshly applied to us through that work of the Spirit. So we ask that you would meet us here in Jesus' name. Go ahead and peel back and take the bread. Lord Jesus Christ, we were created in your image, called to walk in your way, to have a life that reflected the character of our God. But we failed drastically, catastrophically. Lord, Adam sinned and rebelled we were all implicated in that. And since then, we have many times ourselves chosen the way of sin. But Lord, you did not abandon us. You came down, you took flesh, and you were broken that we might be made whole. And taking this bread this morning, we proclaim that our only hope of salvation the only hope we have of justification being declared not guilty is because of your broken body and your righteousness given to us. So we take this bread freely confessing our sin and receiving your righteousness. In Jesus' name, take and eat. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for your blood. Lord, this cup is often referred to as the cup of thanksgiving. And Lord, we are thankful that by your blood, you have sealed the new covenant. You have washed away our sins. You have secured us as part of the people of God now and for eternity. We are cleansed. We are kept because of your blood. Lord, we are so grateful to be part of your people. And in taking the cup, we again recognize we need cleansing because we are sinners. But Jesus, we believe your blood is more than enough to make us holy and pure before our Father. Friends, take and drink. 
Let's stand together and we will call out to the Holy Spirit to freshly come upon us and then I'll conclude with the word of benediction. Oh, Spirit of God, how grateful we are for your work. At the dawn of creation, when all was darkness and chaos, you were hovering. And day by day, as the Father spoke through the Son, you were forming and fashioning and shaping. When we, too, were nothing but chaos and darkness, Spirit of the living God, you came upon us and raised us to life. Lord, we are grateful for what you have done. And as we began today looking in 2 Corinthians 3, Lord, and we realize that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We cry out to you, O Holy Spirit, empower us this week. We do not want to walk in shackles of sin. We do not want to embrace the lies of the world around us that would tell us sin is freedom. Lord, sin is slavery. So Holy Spirit, fall fresh upon us. Holy Spirit, rise up within us. Holy Spirit, empower us this week that we might walk in holiness, not sin. That we might become more like Jesus not the culture of this world, that we might be pleasing to our Father even if others do not go along, do not like it, that our desire would be to see the smile on the face of our Father God because we are being conformed more to the image of Jesus Christ. We invite you, speak to us today and each day this week. Lead, guide, empower us so that we might keep in step with you. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And if you agree, say amen. Amen. Now may the Spirit of God testify to your spirit that you are a child of God and that because you are a child of God, you are an heir of God. Indeed, you are a co-heir with Jesus Christ of all of God's covenant blessings. Because you are in Christ and you have been given the Spirit, you are blessed. Go forth and be a blessing. Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.